You're listening to the Journey to Launch podcast, breaking free of shame, limiting beliefs, and labels to live a full life with Adi Jaffe. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 journeyers. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast. And if you are completely new around here, welcome. I hope this won't be the last time you're listening. Don't forget to subscribe or follow this podcast wherever you're listening right now. It's free and you don't want to miss an episode. So do that. And we can speak every week. You can listen to me. We can share the vibes. You can learn and be fueled on your journey to financial freedom and independence. Now, in this episode, we are going to be going in on something that I believe is important. I mean, I believe all the topics are important. But what really excites me when I get a chance to think about what to bring on the show, the topics are not necessarily the things that are directly money related, but they are the things that impact everything we do. They are the things that impact our relationships, who we are as people, the choices we make, how we go on about in this world, who we are when we close that door, you know, and are by ourselves at night. And so this episode, I'm going to be talking to Adi Jaffe, who is the author of the book, The Accident Myth, and he's a nationally recognized expert on mental health, addiction, relationships, and shame. And we are going to be talking about all the ways that people find themselves with labels, how that causes them to act and do and behave in a certain way, what society expects of them, of us, how we can begin to break through those labels and embrace our shame because we all have it. You'll even hear in this episode, I get a little vulnerable myself about some things. And so I am really excited for you to hear this conversation. The Journey to Launch podcast is sponsored by DCU, Digital Federal Credit Union. Interest rates are at historic lows. So if you have a private student loan with higher interest rates or have multiple private student loans that you want to consolidate, then it may make sense to explore your refinancing options. In some cases, refinancing your student loans could potentially save you thousands or lower your monthly payment. DCU offers student loan refinance options with competitive rates and zero origination fees. Take control of your student loans repayment by refinancing with DCU. Membership required. To learn more, check out dcu.org slash student loans. If you want the episode show notes for this episode, go to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this episode. In the show notes, you'll get the transcribed version of the conversation, the links that we mentioned, and so much more. Also, whether you are an OG journeyer or brand new to the podcast, I've created a free jumpstart guide to help you on your financial freedom journey. It includes the top episodes to listen to, stages to go through to reach financial freedom, resources, and so much more. You can go to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart to get your guide right now. Okay, let's hop into the episode. Hey, journeyers. So I have a guest for you and it's going to be a little bit different, I think, but really good. You know, I always, I always curate the people I talk to that I bring on this show to be something that's going to help you on your journey, the emotional 
mental and practical side of reaching freedom, all parts of freedom. And I have on Adi Jaffe on the podcast. Hi, Adi. Hey, Jamila. How you doing? Good, good. And, you know, I'm excited to talk to you because I had someone in my community and reach out and say, you should really check out this guy because he talks a lot about mental health and wellness. And I checked out some of your TED talks and I thought they were really good. And I was like, well, this is, yeah, sure. It's not about like money specifically, but this has everything to do with who we are as people on this journey. And so I'm excited to dig more into your story and just shoot the breeze. So can you just tell us a little bit about your journey to where you are today? Sure. I mean, you know, I'll tell a shorthand and people can go look at some of those talks to get the, the specifics. I want to get into the topics that are relevant to your audience. But I grew up in Israel, lived in the same apartment my whole life, growing up literally until I was 14 years old. And then my family moved to the States. And it was really exciting, but also really a terrifying time in my life. It was uh, the beginning of high school. So I I knew nobody. I moved from, you know, literally living in the same neighborhood forever to just literally not knowing a, a single human being, having a weird accent. I was that weird foreign kid, right? And that caused a lot of upheaval. I don't think anybody expected it to, but it caused a lot of um, discomfort in my life. It took me another three to four years to kind of even just get used to being an American student or, you know, an American kid. Um, started rebelling a lot, got into alcohol and then heavier drugs um, and eventually got addicted to really, really heavy drugs. I was addicted to meth for about five years while being in school out here. I'm uh, in Los Angeles now and I was at UCLA where I ended up graduating, but literally so addicted to meth that I would take a meth pipe to class with me and go to the bathroom and smoke meth in between my classes during tests. It's not a euphemism when I talk about this, but I was high for five years straight. And when I talk about it now, I have a frame of reference and I know why. And it's because I didn't like myself and I felt really anxious and I didn't fit in and blah, blah, blah. There's all these reasons for it. But at the time, I didn't know that I was just, it was like a nosedive. Like I was just, you know, going nowhere really, really fast. Because the drug use was costing a lot of money, I was selling drugs in order to be able to afford the drugs that I was using. I ended up selling a lot of drugs that landed me in jail. Um, I was looking at over a decade in jail, but I, I got I managed to sort of um, sober up and clean up my act a little bit before I went in front of the judge for the last time. And so I ended up getting one year in jail, which is still a substantial amount of time to be behind bars. And I had a lot of soul searching to do during that time. When I got out, I knew I knew there was one thing I wanted for sure, and that was to never end up back in jail. And I would say the last, that was 2004, 2005 when I got out. Sorry, 2003, 2004 when I got out. And um, I've spent the last 16, 17, 18 years of my life just gradually building what would become this new version of me that is completely removed but informed by that first experience that I had. Wow. So I, I think one of the reasons that <laughs> the person in my community sent me your stuff is she's going through stuff. And I think we all are going through stuff, especially with this pandemic, but emotionally and mentally. And then when I watched your TED Talks, which we'll link in the description, you know, I thought of how you found yourself at your lowest point and how different your life is how that pivot, how you're continuously working on yourselves and now you're teaching or at least talking and helping other people do the same. 
how important that is because I feel like there's so many people walking around with these um, secrets and or addictions, whatever that may be, that we're not sharing, we're not talking about, but impacts everything we are. And some people in our lives have no clue about what's really going on with us. So talk about what you do now and how you talk about your journey and how it's helping others. I mean, I love that you brought that up first at Ignited, which is a company that I run now. Uh, we have our own podcast and we have, as you mentioned, a program where we help people with addictions and issues like that. One of our biggest mottos is F shame. We use the full word, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll keep it PG for this. But, and the reason is exactly what you just mentioned. You know, too many of us walk around actually full of lessons, full of stories, full of insight, but we feel like that insight makes us less than. We feel we're afraid that other people will judge us for that insight, so we keep it inside. We don't talk to anybody about it. We don't want to mention it. We actually have been taught wrongfully that the job is to try to make it look like everything is okay and everything has always been okay in our lives. Right, like the story I should be telling based on societal sort of rules is, hey, I moved from Israel and it was tough, but man, I overcame it and it was really, really great. And then I went to college and I graduated and I took a little break to do music, which was the lie that I was telling everybody back then when I was using drugs all the time. I had a recording studio, but really I made music between like 2 and 4 a.m. Uh, when I was so high and everybody else was asleep that there was nothing else to do. You know, after music, I tried that for a little while, but it didn't really work and I wasn't making enough money. So I went back to graduate school. Like that's the story everybody wants to hear, they think. But the problem is we've been so programmed to pretend that everything is okay all the time that actually what I think is happening in the world is there's millions of us walking around in, in deep pain, right? Walking around thinking we're not enough, walking around thinking that everybody else is actually smarter, better more confident, more able than us, more popular than us, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And if you have that internal experience and you really do believe that speaking about it will make you judged, then you end up living a completely different world inside and outside. And to me, that's the cornerstone of mental health struggles. It's a cornerstone of addictions. It's a cornerstone of feeling less than and of, and of having shame. And so, I've sort of made it my mission if you will, to make people comfortable talking about what's actually going on for them inside because no matter how bad it is inside, it makes it worse to hold it in. It makes it worse to hide from it. You know, in a way, what we talk about at Ignited all the time is you have the shadow, but ignoring it or trying to pretend that it doesn't exist or trying to numb it out is actually writing a piece of yourself off. It's saying, I'm not okay with this part of me and if you're not okay with a part of you, then nobody else will ever be okay with it either. And that's that's a huge part of the job that I see myself having now in the world. Yeah, there's two parts of shame. And now with Instagram and social media and even books, right? So sometimes I feel like either we discount our experiences, so we say it's not as bad, like our experiences, whether childhood and um, how we were raised and the trauma that we experienced, like sometimes it's not as overt. It's very subtle and it's interesting. I actually, before this call came from therapy, I myself recently started therapy and have been discovering things about my life and how I was raised and the things I didn't have and how I used to say that I think it is my superpower. I think that's why I'm where I am today, but also acknowledging that, you know, at some point it can also become 
something that is actually keeping me from the life I want because it helped me get to where I am now. But if I keep this as my like thing, it may prevent me from really opening up and being the Jamila I want. So part of that for me is I didn't experience from what I remember consciously any big traumas, but I've had some things happen to me or experience things that matter. So what do you say to the people where it's like, you you know, big trauma where it's like, yeah, we know that is a thing, whether it's like being addicted to something, maybe assault and growing up in an abusive household that was overtly abused versus like these subtle things that a lot of us have experienced trauma in the world, but we don't, it's not big. So we don't know that it's trauma, but it's, we carry it with us. That's a great point. So, you know, everybody associates PTSD with being in war, being raped, being, you know, physically assaulted, something massive like that. But we also know that repeated occurrence of what we call little t trauma. So kind of chronic little t trauma occurrence can create PTSD as well. But I think I really don't like any of those labels at all. And what I ascribe to is something a little bit different. And that is, we all got handed a book, not explicitly, but we all got handed a book earlier in life. Uh, Our parents and our friends and our culture and our environment, our neighbors, kind of on the down low, just kind of handed us this little manual. And they said, hey, if you do this, you'll be happy. And they did it subtly. And we learned it gradually like a sponge. We just absorbed the lessons of that book. Nobody, for most of us, and we, I, I'm trying to do this differently a, bit, a little bit with my kids, but nobody said to us, hey, this works for me. It may work for you. Try it out. They said, this is the way you live. So, we all ended up with this manual. And we didn't know that it was badly written by people who were flawed and didn't really understand exactly what they were doing. And that half of it is actually handed to them by their parents and they were just trying to correct it. It looks to us... Like this is a finished manuscript. And then we follow it and we think they told me as long as I do this, I'll be happy. And we don't know that we're different people with different experiences and different genetics and different environmental influences and friends. And when the book doesn't work, unfortunately, I think most of us go, what's wrong with me that the manual didn't work? We don't think because nobody suggested it to us, hey, maybe I need to edit the manual. And I think one of the biggest discoveries in the world, and you're talking about this, and I think you're totally right about it, the story of the past is the story of the past, and we need to understand it and accept it as that. It is not the determination of who you become in the future. Uh, There's this term a lot of people are using now of expanders. Another way to talk about it is role models or, or models, period, right? And I'm a huge fan of Bruce Lipton. I don't know if you you know the man or not, but uh, if you don't, so, Bruce Lipton wrote a book called The Biology of Belief. If there's one massive lesson I'll leave for everybody here is check out that book. It's a little science because he's a microbiologist, but it's, it's a pretty powerful book. The core of it is not all that different from law of attraction and things of that nature. He just gets at it a slightly different way. And it's this. I think it was uh, Henry Ford that said it, right? Whether, whether you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're right. And... The problem is that we got handed so many beliefs until maybe for some people until this moment, but a lot of people have been listening to your podcast for a while, so they've had this happen to them multiple times here. The beliefs you have about life, whether you like it or not, are just the beliefs you got handed through your life. They are not truth. They just aren't. I didn't believe this when I was in my 20s. I thought I knew what the world was, and I didn't. One of the stories I tell oftentimes for people to really get a good sense of this is imagine you're, if everybody's ever been on a hike or something like that, you know, imagine you're coming to the end of a hike and you 
see this gorgeous mountain it's snow capped and you know you see these beautiful trees on the left hand side of it and and animals you know walking through it and you just you're in awe about about this beautiful mountain so later on in the day you describe it to one of your friends and you say oh my god i came up on this amazing mountain and you describe to them and say wow that looks really similar to another mountain that i i saw at the end of my walk three days ago but it looked a little different and they they describe it to you and and it's not exactly the same you can fight each other on who saw the mountain the right way or you can realize you actually just watch it from two completely different perspectives and that life is full of opportunities to not have to prove yourself right, but rather learn from the perspectives and the experiences of others. That to me is, is my path in life now, right? Is I understand now that I've been limited in what I can accept and what I expect of myself and, and what I think will and can happen in my life by stories and beliefs and little little expectations that were just set in place without anybody thinking about it when I was younger, but that there's almost nothing limiting what I can accomplish if I just understand that my job is not to um, to become a different person, but rather to take on the belief and the and the and the knowledge of how to accomplish those things. And so one of the things we do at Ignited for people all the time is I don't think addiction is a thing you have to struggle with for the rest of your life. And people really get pissed at me for saying that because we believe addiction is this disease that you struggle with forever. And I just, I don't know if I, uh, hopefully I can say this on here. If not, you can edit it out. But I just call bullshit on it. It's just like, it's only a lifelong struggle if you allow yourself to believe that you're stuck. The moment you get out of that mindset, you can release yourself from the chains of addiction. Uh, and I think that's also true for abundance and uh, and money and everything else you have in your life. So I'm glad you touched upon the addiction part of things. And I want to just also go back to, as you were talking, I thought of this quote in a song and uh, it's from, I'm Jamaican, so I love Jamaican music. And it's by an uh, artist called Protégé and it's, the song is called Who Knows, but he says this line and he says, don't be a slave to the things that you know. Now, sometimes using the word slave is like triggering for me, but in this context, I think it works to just show that a lot of things that, like you said, we were handed down and um, just experienced and seen in our lives. And especially with even this platform that I have now. And the reason why I started it was because I was exposed to this concept about financial independence and living this life that I didn't know was possible for me until I saw other people doing it. And it kind of like, was a glimpse of like a hope. And I was like, wait, what is that over there? And that's why I started to explore this life and did things totally different. And a lot of people now who listen are also coming to that realization. They may be in their jobs, maybe living their lives. I call it kind of like sleepwalking in a bit that you're just like going through the motions and then you notice something or you realize something and you say, wait, maybe all the things that I've been taught and I'm, what I'm doing is not <laughs> what needs to be done. So can you talk about maybe how does one or someone begin to awaken themselves from this. So if they have this idea and they think it's not possible, they see someone else doing it and living this life, how do they start to say to themselves that they can do it too? Oh, this is so important. And I think one of the ways you do it is by doing what you just mentioned, you started doing without re realizing it. And that is exposing yourself to the sort of messages and the sort of lessons, the sort of beliefs that you want to have. If you think about it, how did you take on the belief of what is right and what is wrong? Like, I grew up, my dad worked three jobs. We were living in Israel. He was a physician, but it was really hard to make money in Israel. And so, he had to work three jobs to support us the way our family wanted to live. And so, I never saw my dad. 
my dad was great at his job and was really celebrated for it, but not exactly the best dad ever because I literally, my dad, we saw him for breakfast on Saturdays almost only until I was 14 years old. Other than that, he was never home. He would come home after we would fall asleep and uh, leave for work before I would wake up. The lesson, even though I hated that life with my dad, the lesson was if you're not working your butt off and um, you're not always working and you're not making enough money to support your family in one, two, or three kind of ways, you're bum and you're lazy and you're worthless. Now, that's insane when you think about it a little bit. Like, I hated that way of having my dad, but I saw him doing it. And so, as a kid, the message was be busy or you're a bum, right? And be great at it. So, unless you're one of the best in your field and you're working all the time, you suck. I'm still trying to unlearn that, right? I'm with, I've got three kids now. I'm with my wife. Um, she looks at me like I'm crazy when I work after 6 p.m. She's like, what are you doing? You start, you wake up at 5.30 in the morning to get your stuff done before work. What, just get out of work. And in my head, I have to fight this thing all the time. So, how do I fight it? I read books like four-hour work week, and which is not really about a four-hour work week, but it's about, it's about getting help. I never watched my dad get help. I never saw him talk about getting help. It was never a thing like delegating. What are you talking about? Do it all yourself. Learn how to do everything. So, I have to get these messages from other people. And I love that you brought this because music is a huge inspiration for me. But recently, I realized, you know, I've been working on the scarcity abundance thing. One of the messages I heard, and I'll repeat it here if it helps anybody. One of the worst beliefs that I got ingrained in me when I was younger is that money and success is a zero-sum game. And that means if you're getting some, somebody else is losing it. I'm very much about equality and, and truth and, 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 um, and fairness. And so, there's a part of me that feels like if I get too much money, I'm taking it from other people and that's not fair. And it was only a few years ago that one of my friends was talking and he's all about abundance. And he was saying, look, money is energy. You put it into the world and you create more, make more money and put more money out, you can elevate. There's more than enough money for everybody. You don't, you can create more abundance. You don't, you're not taken from somebody else. You're creating more energy in the form of money. And to allow that belief in, release me from this feeling that there's something wrong with me even wanting money. Because if I believe that I'm hurting somebody and I don't want to hurt people, then I'm not making money, not because I don't want the money, but because I don't want to hurt somebody else. And all those beliefs, they hold us back. Look, there's a lot of cynicism in this world right now, especially after COVID. I believe firmly that the, that the people who've made the most money in the world end up being philanthropists for a reason. And there's enough conspiracy and I'm not going to step into that puddle, but there's a reason why people who've made billions turn around and give away most of that money. And I think it's because when I've worked with some of the richest families in the world, and I think you realize when you get to the top and you have enough money for the yachts and the planes and the stuff, that none of it makes you happier. It's really nice to not have to wait for a plane and be able to jump on one whenever you want to. It doesn't make you happier. There's something in the purpose and the contribution and making other people's lives better that creates massive joy and massive contentment in us. But you can do a lot more of it if you have resources. And 
that's something I've been working on for the last couple of years is just realizing, oh, crap, like, if I can make it the way I want to make it, I can give back in massive ways that I'm not able to do now and change millions of lives. And so, these little beliefs, they intervene. They become like hurdles and walls that you have to climb over in order to get to your success. And I'm so glad you actually brought up your father because one of the things that came up in my therapy session was my relationship with my, like the non-existent relationship with my father and stepfather and the lack of trust there with them and how that actually impacts everything I do today. Even though like for me, I it's a superpower because I feel like that's why I work so hard and, you know, I'm really self-sufficient and independent, but in some ways it doesn't allow me to be vulnerable with people or ask for help. And vulnerability was like a through line that I realized, even though it's like, you know, it's my personal life um, in my relationships with friends, even my husband is also in my business, which is how I make money. So I have a fear of being vulnerable in my business. And even though if you listen to this podcast on journey, it's like, but you do share with us. And I do, but it's not just the sharing part, but it's even the way I make money like being vulnerable to one source, one way of making money, being vulnerable, like wanting to be diversified, which is smart and logical, but at the expense of doing it where I'm like, I'm actually not happy doing this thing, but I keep doing it because I want to be logical because I don't want to be vulnerable to money that actually is coming in really what is coming in great. And it's actually, it's work, but it's feel good work. But part of me feels like, well, it has to feel like, you know, struggle if I want to like earn it. And that's one of those beliefs, like, hey, if you want to make good money, you got to struggle. That's a belief, right? And yeah, there's so many of these little ones. I love that you brought up the struggle thing because that was the same for me. Like, hey, if you want to make it, you got to work hard versus, you know, work smart and ask for a bunch of help. And like, again, there's so many different ways of thinking about it, but we get stuck in a single perspective. Yeah. And I hope as we're talking, some journeyers, you people listening are thinking of ways in which how you act right now or how you move about in the world is impacted by the way you were raised and just the beliefs that were passed on to you and knowing that you can actually work to change those beliefs. You don't have to be stuck to those things. And this is the thing, look, everybody listening right now has already had this experience. So, it's hard for all of us in a moment to realize that we are currently holding on to beliefs that are holding us back and hurting us. I'll go to the one that I use a lot, even though it's kind of just funny, but a lot of people listening right now used to believe in Santa Claus. Now, it was nice to think that there was a magical guy who would show up and drop a bunch of gifts off to you, but you learned at some point that wasn't true. And actually, you learned something even cooler about it. It was your parents and your family who loved you so much that they would hide around and after you would go to sleep, like that's actually a cooler story to me. My Wait, my parents love me so much, they would tell me the story and then hide and wrap gifts down in the basement so I wouldn't see it. Like, that's that's love, you know, in some ways. You learned it. It was weird. It was shocking at first. And now you couldn't even think of believing the old belief again. I guarantee there are beliefs right now that you're holding on to that are as equally fantastical. Once you realize and you can get to the other side, they just feel like it feels like a block. Mm, yeah. Now, one of the things you talked about in one of your talks was this idea of uh, potential. And sometimes it's not the ability, it's not an issue of ability, but of expectations. And you talked about the albino rat experiment and the fake Harvard test. Can we talk about that a little bit? Because I think depending on how society labels us or what they expect of us, um, depending on where you are listening to this right now, can impact what we do. So let's dive into that. Thank you for bringing that up. This is huge. 
And it goes back to that slave word you, you talked about before. I'm, I'm in the field of addiction. So it talks about people calling themselves alcoholics and addicts. I'll tell the, the story of the research first, but one of these studies went like this. It was um, a bunch of professors actually from uh, one of them ended up at UCLA, but it was psychologists went to an elementary school in Northern California and they were trying to test this new assessment, this new school assessment. And so they went to the kids in the beginning of the school year when the kids got this battery of standardized tests and they just slid one in. And after the testing was done, they used the test to identify 20% of the students that they believe based on this assessment were ready or primed to become extra smart, like their IQ was ready to grow. And that was the whole point of this test. And they called this test the Harvard Test of Inflected Acquisition. And what they did is they went to the uh, to the teachers and they said to the teachers, look, we're just testing this. So you, you can't tell the students or the, the parents, but we used this test at the beginning of the school year and we identified these students and they would tell them the students' names who are, we're calling them bloomers. They're ready to grow massively in terms of their IQ this year. So do with it what you want to do, but you can't tell people yet because, you know, we haven't exactly proven this. School year goes by. They come back at the end of the school year for the next battery of assessment tests and they look at the results and what they find is that the test was able to predict a group of students, about 20% of students, that grew by an average of seven IQ points more than the rest of the students. Just for a frame of reference, seven IQ points is what's called about a half a standard deviation. Two standard deviations above average is genius level. So these kids went, they didn't go that far. But a quarter of the way to genius, which is kind of an insane amount of growth in one year for some elementary school kids, which is incredible. If you think to yourself, like if I could give you a test today, Jamila, and say, hey, you know what? This is the year. This is the year you're going to make extra money. This is the year you're going to get extra smart. That would be incredible. But the whole thing was made up. The entire thing was made up. There was no such test as a Harvard test of inflected acquisition. They never added anything into the mix. They literally picked 20% of the students at random out of a hat. They picked them out of a hat and then they went to the teachers and told them the students' names. The real test was whether the, the teachers thinking that these kids are extra smart would cause the kids to become extra smart and it worked. And there's now a body of literature. This, that specific effect is called the Pygmalion effect and I can explain why in a second. But uh, there's a different group of studies around stereotype threat, which are the opposite of this. And those are what happens when you tell people that they're not as good, right? Pygmalion effect, you're making them better than they are by telling them that they're extra powerful. Stereotype threat, which was done by Claude Steele, an incredible, incredible professor who was trying to figure out why black students weren't performing as well at school. And he figured out it has nothing to do with ability. It just had to do with expectations. And again, I can talk about that study a little bit if the people want to hear that as well. But, you know, I got my PhD in psychology. When I learned about this, I was like, this is messed up. (laughs) It's messed up that we literally can put people in the place we want them to just by believing that's where they belong. And then I realized, oh shit, we have the same responsibility, right? So my expectations for you, Jamila, whether I wanted to or not, they affect the way you see yourself and what you expect for yourself. And when you said that thing about slaves, I think think that was a, a really powerful piece for people to recognize, right? When we keep using these labels about ourselves, and there's been research that shows that even if you don't believe that the label means much to you, as long as you 
understand what the label means, it still impacts you. It's an insane effect. And you feel stuck. You feel stuck in that old position. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So much, so much to say that I want to point out here. So the balance, right? So part of me feels like we live in a world where we want to acknowledge the systemic things, um, racism, inequalities, the what got us to where we are today and be real about the history of things. And part of me also, that's important. And we need to fix that top down, bottom up, all that. But part of me also feels like a lot of it is messaging, you know, whether it's the media and we don't have to, like, I don't want to turn this into a thing like for this conversation, but like a lot of the messaging sometimes when it comes to abilities and people of color and black people, I feel like from both ends of the spectrum are kind of like telling us what, how we should feel and who we are and what we went through when it doesn't give, I would say if I'm speaking for myself um, and how I want to raise my kids differently is like, they like have a clean slate apart from the things that they cannot control, have the ability to do what as much best they can control their destiny. But it's so hard because I feel like we're living in a society in which is split between telling us what happened to us and why it's still happening and that we are behind. And some of that is definitely true. But then and also part of it is how do we come out from that? So what is the balance, do you think? So here's what I've seen that is that is important. Owning the experience and owning who you are are two different things. The experience is reality. It's We can't ignore it. We don't want to whitewash that. I mean, that would be... I think that's where we get into toxic positivity. It's like, oh, come on, just everything is a positive experience. And, you you know, you hear about some of those stories and it's gut-wrenching. I believe it's in the same thing. Like, I deal with people with addiction and a lot of people come to me and say, look, I've been an alcoholic for 20 years. And I say, hold on, hold on, hold on. You've been struggling with alcohol for 20 years. There's a difference between saying, I am a, and I've had this experience. And I think you're totally right in bringing this up. Notice in that study and in every study that you see before, what they found is it's the belief that the self is different that causes the effect. So, I'll tell the stereotype threat study just quickly so people can hear it. Dr. Claude Steele, when, uh, when they were studying this effect, look, you go back 50 years, 60 years, black and Hispanic students were underperforming substantially compared to white students and the story was simple. I hate saying it, but evolutionary psychology, the story was, hey, it's their IQ is not as high. That was the story everywhere. And he was like, wait, I think there might be something different here. He's a professor of color as well. So he was like, I don't, I don't think this is what's going on. Let's see what, what's up. And the study was set up this way. They brought in black and white students and they gave them an intelligence test like they always had. And it said, you know, intelligence test at the beginning of it. And they sat and they took it and they found the same problem that they'd always found. Black students performed by like... I think it was like 15, 20% lower than whites. It was substantial. They brought another group of students. They gave them the exact same questions. They just didn't identify it as an intelligence. They said, hey, before we start the experiment, would you mind answering these questions? They just, they were like an aside. No difference between the scores. Then they brought the students back. They didn't call it intelligence test, but the first page was identified by race. So they, they had them identify their racial category before they took the test. Black students underperformed again. There was this expectation because the knowledge, quote, right, the right knowledge in society was that black students perform more poorly on intelligence tests. The students knew that and they, he, they did a lot of follow-up studies. Their blood pressure went up. 
their heart rate went up, they got anxious. The moment they knew they were being tested because they knew the comparison. So while the white students are hanging out there just answering questions, the black students are dealing with the stereotype. Oh shit, I got to prove myself here because, you know, I'm not as smart as these other people. I got to really work hard. So now they got that going on one side and they're trying to answer the question on the other, which put a big, it's called cognitive load. It made it harder for them to be able to focus and think. And I think to myself back again to what you were talking about earlier, if you're walking around with this negative belief, I'm weaker, I'm enslaved, I'm all this stuff. As, as a human, not, not my ancestors or I went through these experiences, but this is who I am as a person. Every time you have a challenge, every time something comes up, you have to overcome that belief and then still achieve, which is like you're doing two jobs instead of one. You can flip this effect. They had black and white students play golf. They told one group that um, this is a test of natural athletic abilities. The belief in society is um, black students have better athletic ability. They did better in golf. They took, they brought them back in a different group of students. They told them this is a, a sign of natural athletic intelligence. White students perform better. It's like, it's mind boggling how powerful this effect is. And so, what you're teaching people here in this podcast to own identifying the world where there are other people that are doing what you want to do, learn from them. That is allowing people to take themselves out of what belief about self they're stuck in and create another version. Yeah. And some of it is subconscious beliefs and some of it is conscious. Like, you know, it's messaging. It's been, you don't even realize it's being pushed upon you, but it's there. And it's so I, I do agree and like this idea of finding people that you can relate to who are like you. You know, I, I learn from everyone. I can look at anyone. But I also know that if I see someone who's like had similar experiences, you know, whenever I see a black woman winning in an area, I'm like, yes, like it just especially in breaking barriers that maybe were not broken before. It makes me feel like, OK, see, like it is possible. And the other thing I want to talk about with the whole expectation is this is why it's so important. My husband's a teacher. Um, but that there needs to be more black teachers because the thing about it is, you know, you have these teachers and let's just say they're not even in this study. They didn't do the studies are just teachers. Now, a lot of it is like their expectations. Um, if they don't understand the kids or their unique cultural experience, because they come from totally different backgrounds while the teachers, oh my gosh, God bless you are doing your best. A lot of times, like if you don't understand like that child, you may think, wait, this child is something is wrong. They're not as, you know, capable. And it's like, no, they learn differently. And, and so I just think representation and more black teachers and more teachers of color are needed in the school system, which means you, I think they need to get paid more so that we encourage them in these positions. Okay. I appreciate us being open and having this conversation here. The other thing I want to just touch upon before we have to go is, so we talked about having these labels put on us and, you know, breaking through that and really discovering the things that we want and identifying that. So you talk about addiction and you've been through addiction. Does someone like recognize that they actually have a problem? And I'm saying this in terms of like our journeys to wherever it is we're going. When do you use the labels um, to like push you forward? So like, let's say someone is being labeled right now, even me, like, oh, like you are so smart or you are all these things and I'm going to use that for my benefit. But when can you recognize, okay, this label actually is working against me that you want to break free from it? I don't think there's a limit to this. And what I mean by it is this, if you look at your life, 
you create a little printout of how how it looks. How do people treat you? What do you have? What do you not have? What are you trying to get that you keep failing at? What do you what do you get really easily? Just a little write out of what your week has looked like. All the stuff that's working is because you believe that you're good at it and it's working and you deserve it. And all the stuff that isn't working is because you believe you don't deserve it and you're not the right person for it and and the world doesn't want to give it to you. And so the question gets to be really easy, actually. You can change whatever you want. Look at your life. Look at the things you don't get and that you really, really want or the things that you feel like you're failing at repeatedly. Those are all an experience generated by the belief of what you can and cannot do. And I know that sounds insanely overarching. I know it does. And I'm not saying that there are not systematic and systemic hurdles in your way. I'm saying overcoming those systemic hurdles with the belief that they are true is insanely more difficult than overcoming the systemic hurdles with the belief that they are false and have been put around you falsely. So, right, again, if you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're right. I'm not saying that if you believe you can, nothing will ever stand in your way. I'm saying if you believe you can't, nothing has to stand in your way and it won't work. So, life still happens, events still happen. It would be insane to not understand that there are systemic limitations and and hurdles and and blocks that have been put in front of specific groups of people in our society. I mean, we're dealing with the LGBTQ world of that right now in, in some massive ways in the last five to 10 years that we've never seen before. That's going to keep happening. That evolution is going to keep happening. But pay attention to the trailblazers. Pay attention to the people who were the first people who showed you that was possible. I'll mention the obvious, but like, we all thought it could happen. And then when Barack Obama became president, we all knew it's possible. Now, the difference between the next person that has to go after him and become the second person of color to become the president of the United States, and the first is massive. It's massive. But I'm telling, like, I don't know the man and I wish, I mean, I want nothing more than meet that guy one day. The belief in his ability to stand in that office had to be absolute for him to be able to break through the the systems that kept him from doing something like that. And what I'm saying, and this is the insane thing, most of us don't think we're that powerful, but we are. It's just, you got you got to do the work. You got to show up and say, okay, what isn't happening in my life? Who has already made that happen? Let me go learn from them. And if you do that enough, I, I truly do believe you can achieve almost anything. It takes work, it takes dedication, it takes a lot of that searching for the role models, as you mentioned, but it's there for the taking. Yeah, yeah. All right, so this has been an amazing um, conversation. I want to just end on, because we did mention it just a little bit about like this abundance, even in you, I always like to kind of get personal with <laughs> people who come on the show with their financial journey. I mean, so you obviously, you've been through a lot and we all have been through some things, but you are now running a company. You are now helping people through their own struggles. But where are you personally with your journey, your financial freedom journey and independence journey? Because you talked a little bit about like that abundance and making money kind of mindset, how you're still kind of working on that. So where are you with that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I uh, I have this practice every morning. I do a five-minute journal. I love that thing. Uh, if anybody's 
ever wanted to kind of have more positive affirmations, etc. I think it's a great simple tool. But yeah, about a year or two ago, look, my life is ridiculous. I I was facing 13 years in prison. I live in a six bedroom house with a pool in Los Angeles now with my wife. We got two cars. We just we go on trips all year. I got three kids. Everybody's eating. Life is amazing, right? Like if I put on paper what my life looks like, abundance is not a question. But in my head, it always feels like it's not enough. And that's the part. It always feels like I'm just chasing behind. We don't have a million dollars or two million dollars in the bank account, but we have everything we could want. And what's interesting about my experience is what I'm doing right now is working on how do I talk to myself about abundance? What do I truly want in my life? What is the signal to me that I'm abundant so I don't feel like I'm always behind and always scarce? And so that's been the game for me. Now, what that meant, like everything else in my life, is I've had to become keenly aware of what I want, what's standing in the way, and what signals are already present. We call it reality testing in cognitive behavioral therapy, and we do that in the Ignited program, reality testing. What signals are there that I'm not scarce? What signals are there that I'm actually the opposite of it, that I'm abundant? What am I doing? I'm, I'm taking attention and focusing it on the things that already show me that I'm either on the way to or already where I want to go. My brain, again, my dad, right, worked three jobs, always behind, always, always money missing, couldn't do this. When we moved to the States, going to McDonald's was like a treat for us because we were broke. And I took a lot of that on. I didn't realize I was taking it on, but I took a lot of it on. So, I'm now, I'm not doing some of that work myself. I love the self-growth part of life. You know, I, I think there's always more and more opportunity and I revel in the ability to always push ourselves and go farther and farther and grow and expand. And really, all the endeavors we take on and journeys, whether the financial and like career entrepreneurship ones, they all start first, all the success of it to me depends on our personal development journey. Like it all stems from there and how we work on ourselves, <laughs> our mindset, our habits, our beliefs. So, okay. Adi, thank you so much. Please let everyone know where they can find out more about you and your work. Yeah, sure. So, adijaffe.com, A-D-I-J-F-F-E.com is uh, probably one of the easiest places. And then the podcast and the company I run is called Ignited, but we took out some vowels. It's I G. N-T-D, Ignited. And you can just go to Ignited.com. Awesome. I'll link all that in the show notes. Thanks so much again for this conversation. Thank you, Jamila. This was great. Okay, journeyers. I hope you found that conversation with Adi as enlightening as I did. I hope it helps you at least start the process if you are being held back currently by limiting beliefs. I mean, we all have them. I have them still. And shame and our experiences and what people want us to be instead of what we want to be. I hope that this episode is a launch pad for you to dig deeper. And it starts a journey, right? We're all on this journey to living our best lives and having enough money, more than enough money so we can have options, right? But everything we do is impacted by how we feel, it's impacted by our surroundings. And obviously it's been a tough last two years when it comes to dealing with the pandemic. We're still in the middle, I would say, of it. We don't know when things will ever be back to normal. And if there ever will be a normal again, it's going to be a new normal. So many of us, on top of the things we were dealing with before the pandemic, 
are dealing with now this, right? Our reality today. And so I hope that this episode touched something in you to help you begin whatever healing process if you do need to heal and confront something that maybe you need to confront. If you found this episode enlightening, please tag me. I always love when you take a screenshot on social media. Take that screenshot on your phone. Tag me. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Journey to Launch. I always love hearing your feedback or if something stood out to you. I love to reshare it. I love to respond because then I know that, okay, this stuff, it resonates. You know, it's what you want to hear. And so let me know. I love to hear your feedback. Um, so check me out on Instagram at Journey to Launch and let me know what you thought of the episode or share it on your social media and tag me at Journey to Launch. Don't forget, you can get the episode show notes for this episode by going to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this. And you can still grab your jumpstart guide for free to help you on your journey to financial freedom by going to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart. If you want to support me and the podcast and love the free content and information that you get here, here are four ways that you can support me in the show. One, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you listen, whether that's Apple Podcasts, that purple app on your phone, your Android device, YouTube, Spotify, wherever it is that you happen to listen, just subscribe so you are not missing an episode. And if you're happening to listen to this in Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and subscribe there. I appreciate and read every single review. Number two, follow me on my social media accounts. I'm at Journey to Launch on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I love, love, love interacting with journeyers there. Three, support and check out the sponsors of this show if you hear something that interests you. Sponsors are the main ways we keep the podcast lights on here. So show them some love for supporting your girl. Four, and last but not least, share this episode, this podcast with a friend or family member or coworker so that we can spread the message of Journey to Launch. All right, that's it. Until next week, keep on journeying, journeyers. Journeyers.